Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. Well, good morning, Antioch Church. And uh, hey, what's up, man? Hey, I want to just give a special welcome. I, I'm, I'm recognizing, well, I'm actually not recognizing, I'm seeing a lot of faces I don't know. And so if you're here for the first time, uh, we just want to say thank you. It is a real privilege to have you worshiping Jesus with us. So thank you for being here. My name is Ben Wickle. I am one of a handful of pastors here at Antioch Church. And, and so we're, we're, we're glad that you're here. Uh, you may have noticed that a bunch of us are wearing different shirts, different colored shirts like this, and that is because today it, we are calling it Pillar Sunday, Pillar Sunday, and uh, Leslie Medlin on staff, she's going to come up afterwards and she's going to share a, lo- a little bit more, but I, I just want to say uh, for Pillar Sunday that this is a day where we emphasize what it means to be a pillar or a servant, and what are pillars, literally speaking, what are pillars? Pillars are really, really important parts of a building, that they support the building by providing uh, support, serve, they, they provide, just, they carry weight. And at, at, we believe that all of God's people are called to, to serve and to support what God is building. And God is building his church. God is building this church. And so we, we're going to talk a lot about serving today. How can we be faithful servants. How can we be faithful servants? And so I want to ask a question. I want to start off by asking a question. What are the words that every disciple of Jesus wants to hear when he comes back? I was hoping for like a, a, you know, a, a moment of pause and build suspense and wow, but that's good. You're interacting. Yes, yes. You, me, every Christian throughout all of history, we are longing to hear those words. When Jesus comes back, we stand before the throne room, well done, good and faithful servant. I can't think of of a better aim in life than to live to please him, to live to please him. So what, I'm, what we're going to do this morning is I want us to look at that passage. Matthew 25 is the actual passage where we hear those words, where Jesus says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I, I want us to, to focus on how can we prepare ourselves? How can we be ready to hear those words? How can we please the Lord so that on that day we can hear him say, well done? And the Bible has a lot to say about serving, but we're going to look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. I'm going to, I'm going to pray before we get in, then I'm going to read it, and then we're going to go through some points. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word, that you have not left us in the dark, but that you have written for us a, a love letter on how we can know we are loved and how we can love you back in return. God, I pray that as we get in your word that we would not just hear it, but that we would hold fast to it, that our hearts would be like good soil, bearing much fruit, Jesus. 
Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, let's look at Matthew 25, 14. I'm going to read the whole thing, 14 through 30, then we'll jump into it. Starting with verse 14. This is the parable of the talents. Parable of the talents. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents. Okay, by the way, talents there is just, it's a, it's a sum of money. Don't think literally, don't think uh, like, you know, your skills that you're good at. But in terms of its application, we'll, go, we'll find out in a little bit, it can refer to talents and giftings and et cetera. But it's, here it's talking about a portion of money. So to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Verse 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who had, had also had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here I have made two more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. Now he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent into the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my, what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has more, to everyone who has more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In, the, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. All right, there's a lot here. In fact, as I was servant prepping, I easily was like getting like 10, 15 points of what it looks like to be a servant. And Leslie was like, we got 20 minutes. So like, okay, so you're getting four, all right? If you want to know more, I can give you my notes. But there's, there's a whole bunch here. But I'm going to give you four points that can help prepare us so that we can hear the words on that day, well done, good and faithful servant. All right, if you're taking notes, point number one. Point number one is this, servants own nothing. Say that with me. Servants own nothing. Servants know that they really don't own anything. They are at best stewards. What does the very first verse say? Start of passage, four, this is verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Whose property? His property, the Lord's property. It's the Lord's property. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, 
The world and all its people belong to him. What does this mean? It means that the wealth that you have in your bank account, whose is it? Who does it belong to? It belongs to the Lord's. It means that your possessions, your house, your car, the things you, you, you own, whose is it? It's the Lord's. How about our, our, our jobs, our education, our, our marriages, our families? How about our ministries? Everything. It, it's all the Lord's. It's all the Lord's. We're really borrowing it for 70 years, maybe. 70 years. This is, we're just borrowing it. The very meaning of the word servant implies that we own nothing, but rather that we're, we're owned by another. The master, and that's the word that we hear, uh, we hear multiple times in this passage, the, the, this passage. The master means he's the, the Lord, the supreme one. He's the master. We're the servants. And when you own nothing and allow yourself to be owned by the Lord, that's when you find true freedom, right? That's when you try, find true freedom. And when you try to own stuff, try to own ministry, your schedule, when you try to take possession of it and make it yours, what happens? It tends to possess us. You've heard that phrase, right? You, does it, do you possess them or does it possess you? It tends to possess us, our souls. I love John the Baptist. I love his story. He's, he's, he's leading a revival among the Jewish people. The Jews are getting saved. Like they're, they're, or they're getting baptized, which was really, really crazy. The thing that Jews would get baptized. Maybe thousands were willing to leave the comforts of their city and go to the wilderness. His ministry is growing. And then he baptizes Jesus, and then it begins to shift. In fact, a report comes back to John, and and they say, John, all the people, all the crowds are following Jesus, implying to John, your ministry is dying. And I love, I love what John says. These are some of the most powerful words, some of the most powerful words in the Bible. He says, a man can receive nothing except that which is given him from heaven. A man can receive nothing except that which is given him from heaven. He, he knew that his ministry, it wasn't his. And so when it was, in his, at least in some people's eyes, dying, he knew that he was, was going to fulfill the Lord's purposes, and he did. And Jesus said of John, the greatest Old Testament prophet. We know John fulfilled his ministry. He, he didn't own it. Now, this is really encouraging to me as a pastor. One of the hardest things as a pastor and, and I know a lot of our elders and pastoral team feels the same way, is when someone leaves the church. I'm not talking about when we send someone out, we bless them. That's great. It's a little bittersweet to see them leave. But I'm talking about when people leave for so-and-so reasons. And um, I mean, 2020, we saw people leave. We saw people leave because we, didn't, we said wear masks or we didn't say wear masks. It didn't, I didn't even know what the rule was when people were leaving. <laughs> and it was, it was hard. And... People leave for a lot of reasons. But I realized at the end of the day, I don't own people. I don't own anyone here. I don't own the ministry. It's the Lord's. The Lord is going to build his church. It's his ministry. So when people leave, our staff goes, bless them. Lord, I pray that they would find greater pastors, even if they leave on bad terms. We don't own anything. We're just 
servant. So if you want to be found faithful servant on that approaching day, pray this. Lord, thank you for this income, these finances you've provided. How do you want me to steward it? How can I honor you and serve you with it? Lord, thank you for this home, these, this car, these possessions. How can I steward it? How can I use it to serve you, Lord, and to serve others? Lord, I thank you for my marriage. I thank you for my family. I thank you for the ministry, Lord. But how do you want to use it, God? Just relinquish that all to the Lord. To be faithful servants, we need to know that we're stewards. We don't own anything. Amen? We don't own anything. That's point number one. Point number two, avoid the comparison trap. Everyone say trap. All right, there's a trap when we compare. Look at the passage. Verse 15. Verse 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Each according to his ability. Then he went away. God gives to each of us differing measures of of giftings, of portions, of talents, of wealth, access, intelligence. We all have different measuring amounts. And it's the job of the servant not to compare the success or fruitfulness or status or gifting of another, but simply to be faithful over what we've been given. That's our job. That's our job. Now, comparison is, is a very subtle, but yet it's extremely destructive sin in the body of Christ. Very, very destructive. When we compare ourselves, our giftings, our success to another, it distracts us. It distracts us from us being faithful servants. How does it distract us? Let me give you some examples, real examples of how I get distracted. Uh, Has anyone ever read a testimony of like an evangelist in church history? Maybe you've gone on YouTube and you hear like these, these, these evangelists. I know I'm called to serve God, to preach the gospel, and we're all called to serve others by preaching the gospel, but sometimes when I hear these stories, like, man, this evangelist, 10 people get saved a day, and they're healing five people a week, and I'm like, I suck. <laughs> I'm just trying to tell my neighbor that Jesus loves them. I'm just trying to have the courage to go, God bless you. Like that, that's, I'm just, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. And when I hear these stories sometimes, I do get a little inspired, but I also get, I get in my own insecurity, I, I, I start feeling a little guilty. I'm like, man, I'm not doing that. I get discouraged. And even sometimes I can, to, to ward off my insecurities, because that's really painful, I will, well, that, that's not real fruit that remains. I begin to get judgmental and critical, right? I felt that. Has anyone else thought that way before, trying to deal with that? How about prayer ministry? We're called to serve through prayer, to serve God, serve others through prayer. And I love hearing, man, I love hearing testimonies. People, I know people are like, man, they, they fast 40 days, 10 times a year. And I'm like, how does that add up? I mean, like, it's like, I don't get it. You hear these testimonies. And they've built, you know, they live in a house of prayer. And I'm just trying to get up 20 minutes before my kids to pray. And you hear those stories. And, like, you're, like, inspired. But then you go, man, am I even saved? Like, I've felt that way. And I'm comparing. I'm comparing. I, I, by the way, I, I, uh, it's daylight savings time. You guys, I, I, this is probably the least favorite holiday of the year, if you're a parent. Because you could, no matter what you do to your five-year-old, you can sleep in. Sleep in for another hour. You can do it. Now they're, now they're just waking up at 5 a.m. So, how about ministry to the poor? We're called to serve the poor to serve the needy, the less fortunate. 
And we've all heard stories, wonderful heroes of the faith. They live in developing countries. They feed 5,000 orphans. They've remodeled their home into a homeless shelter. Like, and those are awesome stories. And you can compare yourself to that and go, man, what am I doing? What am I doing? First Corinthians talks about, Paul says, if you compare yourself to another, you have no understanding. You really don't understand what you're doing. Most of us are not called to be Billy Graham. Hey, some of you may be, and that's awesome. Some of you may not be called to be, be, be Billy Graham, and that's awesome too. You're just called to preach the gospel to whoever's in front of you. Some of you, a, a lot of us are not going to be called to be Mother Teresa. That's all right. We're just called to love the one in front of you. Here's a little point here. The success, abilities of others is meant to inspire you to be faithful over what you're called to, not to get you to try to do something you're not called to, okay? The success, abilities of others, let it inspire you to be faithful over what you are called to, but don't let it force you to strive into doing something you're not called to, okay? All right, so we've talked about how servants need, they don't, they don't own anything. They, they avoid the comparison trap. Number three, they have the end in mind. They have the end in mind. Now, the whole basis of this point is actually the context for the entire passage. So some of you Bible people, like really, really like Bible scholars are like, you should have started with the context. I'm sorry, I'm going back to it. Verse 14, again, it will be like a man going on a journey, which there's like, begs the question, again, what is, what is again? And it will be like, what is Jesus comparing here? Okay, this passage fits in a larger discourse that goes all the way back to Matthew 24. Jesus is on Mount Olives, and his disciples come to him privately, and they're saying, hey, Jesus, how do we know the end is coming? How are we going to know when the, when the judgment and the signs of the, ends of the ends of the age, how do we know? And then in, verse, you know, in tw- chapter 24, all the way up to here, He's giving these, be, be on alert for these things. The, the, uh, deception, there's tribulations, you know, there's no one knows the hour, be ready. And then he gets to this passage. And he's talking about the day of his return. So the, when I said, hey guys, well done, thou, you know, what's, what's the words that everyone wants to hear? And everyone shouted out, well done, good and faithful servant. And we love that mantra. We, it is our aim, it is our purpose. But the entire context of that passage is that he's coming again. That's the context. Verse 19 supports this. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with him. So if you want to be a faithful servant today, if you're, if you're ever struggling with motivation to serve, which it's like me every day, me every day, you, and you want to hear those famous words, recognize that faithful servants begin with the end in mind. Here's another way to put it. Your motivation to serve today, then set your heart on that day. Martin Luther, he put it brilliantly. He put it better than me, a great reformer. He said, I have two days on my calendar, this day and that day, this day and that day. The apostle Paul described the day of judgment where all ministry and acts of service will be tested. First Corinthians Chapter 3, he says this, and he's, he's talking about believers here. He's talking about Christians and their service, their ministry. He says, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, 
each one's work will become manifest for the day. Can you say the day? The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through a fire. I can't think of a more sobering motivation to serve the Lord faithfully than to know that all my works, all my service, all my ministry is going to be tested with fire. The total sum of how I serve my spouse, how I serve my wife, the Lord will, he will weigh it. The total sum of how I serve the church and how I serve him, it's all going to be weighed and tested. And the Lord knows the intentions of my heart. He knows when I serve my wife begrudgingly. He knows when I serve the church with some secret desire to maybe get seen by others. He sees it and he'll test it. So if you want to be a faithful servant to hear these famous words, then have the end in mind. Have the end in mind. Which brings us to our last point. This is an extension of the previous one. Servants, they seek his rewards. They seek his rewards. But look at verse 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you ruler over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he goes on. He said the same thing to the, ma- the, the servant with two talents. Admittedly, it sounds a little selfish to serve God in order to get something in return, right? It, it sounds a little selfish. And we should serve him because he's totally worthy. We sung about that. He's totally worthy. He's totally worthy. And while that is true and he deserves our service totally because he's worthy, he also gets to define the terms of the relationship. And according to him, he wants to reward us. Amen? So in this parable, as well as Luke, Luke has the same parable, a little bit different wording. Jesus is promising us that if we're faithful with the assignments, the ministry, the talents, the giftings, everything he's given us, he will reward us with greater service in the life to come when he establishes his kingdom. Another way to put it, this 70 years that you and I get, it's a 70-year internship for the heavenly eternal enterprise that's coming. Our position and promotion, our reward in heaven is tied to our selfless, sacrificial service here. Everything is being accounted for right down to the small cup of cold water that you give in Jesus' name. That's Mark chapter 9. Let me reiterate, every good deed will be rewarded. When you extend hospitality, when you give a meal to the poor, and to anyone who's incapable of paying you back, Jesus says, I will reward you for that on the day of resurrection. What will those rewards be like? One of the most common terms are crowns. Crowns imply rulership. Revelation 20 says that as we as believers, we will rule and reign with Christ. To reign with him means that we'll have a sense of leadership. We'll have a sense of authority where we're delegating things to people. Luke's version of this parable talks about cities. Are you saying that there'll be we could rule over cities? Well, There's the New Jerusalem. That's a real city. That's coming. Who's to say it's the only city? There's a lot of mystery about what it could look like, but one thing is clear. How we serve on this life will impact 
our position and what it will look like in the life to come. So I have four points. Real quick sermon. Four points on how to be a faithful servant. Number one, know that we owe nothing. Servants owe nothing. We're stewards. Number two, we avoid the comparison trap. We want to be faithful over what God is giving us. Number three, we serve with the end in mind. And lastly, we seek his rewards. I want to invite uh, whoever plays keys to come on up. Here's how I want us to, to we're, we're going we're gonna to have some time here in a few minutes to, to really apply this service. But I, I, I want to take a couple minutes to have us pray and to do a little inventory of your own hearts and just say, Lord, where, 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 Holy Spirit, where are you tugging at my heart? He may, he may be convicting you about something that you need to relinquish, that you think is yours, but the Lord's going, no, 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 no. I will set you free. Just, just let it go. And you just need to relinquish that to the Lord. He may be, he may be convicting you of like, hey, stop comparing. Stop comparing. Just be called to your assignment. And of course, he may be in, in encouraging you with ways in which you can be motivated to seek his rewards. So we're going to take just a couple minutes. We're going to pray. And I want every one of us to just ask Holy Spirit, Lord, what are you saying to me? How can I lovingly respond? How can I be a faithful servant based on your word? I'm going to lead us out. We're just going to take a few minutes to pray. Jesus.